0: Welcome to a Longer Table podcast, a space for real and sometimes hard conversations that will often challenge your perspective and always empower you to pull up more seats around your own table. I'm your host, Amanda Carpenter. Let's dive in. The conversation you're about to hear is with my new friend, Dan. He and his wife, Emily, are the founders of Get Your Marriage On. Basically, they're experts. I'm really excited for you to hear what he has to say about all things sex as a follow-up to my conversation with E. Dan, I'm so excited to have you at the table today. Everyone has been wanting a follow-up to the conversation that E and I had about our sex life, and I'm so excited cuz you're a sex expert. Like this is what you do for a living.
1: Yes, I'm excited to be here too. Thanks.
0: Yeah. I I know you heard this in my episode with Eric, but, you know, sex and Christianity, it has this narrative that often goes something like sex is naughty. It's a sin. It's bad to even think about it. Don't let your mind wander. Shut it down. If your body starts to feel something, you know, like that's temptation. And I think it's this wild thing, though, that all of a sudden it's supposed to be like, sw- like switch overnight when you put a ring on your finger and sign a paper. It, it's just this bizarre thing so many of us are struggling because we feel bad at sex or we have shame around it. And purity culture, you know, led us to believe that God would even bless our marriage and our sex life if we quote unquote did the right things or waited or took the right steps. So I want to start there with what are your thoughts on purity culture? Do you think it has more cons than pros for married couples today? Or is there a way around that?
1: So uh, that's really interesting. I kind of grew up I think we're almost the same age. Like I grew up with that, those messages too. And, um, uh, my wife did as well. So there's definitely, it's, it's pervasive, especially in our generation. Like, uh, we didn't get like a true love weights ring or anything like that, but like, um, it's, it's, that. oh, I did.
0: <laughs> I actually had a purity ring and went to a, I actually had to walk down an aisle at my church wearing a white dress with a ceremony that would like, I like signed a covenant that I would stay pure. Sorry, mom, that didn't work out.
1: (laughs) But let me guess, your husband didn't do the same thing.
0: He didn't quite do the same thing, but he grew up the exact same, very conservative Christian. um, And again, these aren't bad things in themselves, but the purity culture was real. I think he definitely thought he was going to go to hell if he like got a hand job.
1: Oh, okay. Gotcha. I'm just pointing out there's a double standard in a lot of the purity culture narrative too. (gasps)
0: Correct. There is, there is. It tends to be much more focused on like, as I definitely don't think anyone ever told my husband to like put a shirt on when he went swimming, but God forbid my stomach showed I was like tempting boys or even worse my shoulders. Oh my goodness. You know, it was like, don't wear a tank top.
1: I think, uh, the intent is good because i believe chastity is important before marriage and complete fidelity after marriage i think that standard is really clear to me when i read the bible and that's what god expects for us but um i think like a lot like you mentioned the christian church like even thinking sexual thought is a sin or something like that i i i really don't i think that's kind of a more modern development like if you're to study even like first century christians they had a much more a holistic view of of their bodies and everything, uh, compared to like third century Christians. So even within a few centuries, like those things have changed. And then, a lot of our American culture comes from uh, you know like the Victorian era in England. And um, and so if you study like like our American culture in the last two hundred years, there has been definitely like a pendulum swing towards like especially in conservative churches, you know as as part of the country other culture shifts to more openness with sexuality, there's like a counterbalance to that in the in the conservative church to like mm. kind of go the opposite direction. And I, I think either position's not healthy if you don't really address the why behind behind that. So there are people that grew up in, in a purity culture environment who had a wonderful and very uh, seamless transition into marriage when they internalize that the message that their sexuality belongs to me mm-hmm. and it's up to me to make my own decisions, it's my choices. But when they internalize the message that my sexuality doesn't belong to me, it belongs to someone else. So I need to be responsible for other people's sexuality. That's when the damage happens. Like you talked about, you know, your shoulders or your, or, or no, let your stomach show or, or something. Like if you have to think that the way I dress will affect the way boys will behave therefore it's my responsibility to keep boys in check. That's that's um, that's what's the harm of that's now saying their sexuality doesn't belong to you. You it's it's uh, partially determined by what other people think and what other people do. So that's that's the harmful message because it's no longer the locus of control isn't within you anymore. It's it's outside of you. Yeah. But if you instead internalize, no, I am dressing this way because, I you know, if out of self-respect for myself, if you take in that message instead, then it's actually helpful for you and helps you transition better into yeah. marriage.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, and I am glad to see this shift lately. Um, I don't know if there's a timestamp we could put on it, but there's definitely more sex-positive conversations that I'm seeing on social media and encouragement for parents to talk positively about sex with their children instead of like I just think. Christianity, uh, in the nineties, especially went about it the wrong way. It was all very like fear-based. Like if you have sex, you will not go to heaven. Or if you have sex, you will get pregnant and your world will end or whatever the case is, you know, and fear-based is just never helpful. So I think we can agree on that for sure. Um,
1: I have a story about that if you yeah, want to hear please, it. So, absolutely. Uh, when my wife and I were engaged, um, uh, we decided we we're going to wait for marriage and we like uh, we were really strict with ourselves. and like made our own like uh, I don't know. Ba- we we set really clear boundaries for each other.
0: No blanketing. Have you heard that term? <laughs> no,
1: the, but I'm sure whatever it is, we didn't do it either.
0: At the college I went to, it's a small Christian school. They had this rule called no blanketing. It means that you couldn't have. They had to be able to see your your hands and your legs under the blanket at all times. It, it's just it's just funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: No, no. But I remember like I was having some serious sexual thoughts about my fiance as we're approaching our wedding. I was so excited and I'm looking forward to that. But then the other part of me, like the other angel on the other shoulder, or the devil, whatever, is like saying, No, 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 you can't think these sexual thoughts or whatever. So it's really conflicted. And I remember going to my ecclesiastical leader. We call him a bishop in my church. Others might call him a pastor. And I said to him, you know, I'm really struggling with sexual thoughts about my fiance. And I I don't know if this is a sin or whatever. And he looked at me and he's like, I think sexual thoughts about my wife all the time. I think that's healthy. (laughs) And I was so shocked to hear him say that because he didn't come across as he's an accountant by trade. So, you know, stereotypical, not a lot of personality or whatever. And like to, for him to say, yeah, I fantasize about my wife all the time. I tell her like things I want to do to her. And like, anyway, I was like kind of blushing at the time, but if anything, he normalized everything and I realized, oh, it's okay. Yeah. It's totally okay to think these thoughts and feel these feelings. These are normal and natural. It was so helpful to have another like adult tell me that. Yeah, And I think a lot of the problems with the Christian church, probably in generally speaking could be that you have church leaders that are, have anxiety about their own sexuality in the first place. And that's kind of gets projected on to others who they counsel. Um, but then again, looking back with now that I'm a little more mature, I wouldn't go to like a chiropractor if I had a skin problem, would you like, no, right. I'd, I'd go to a dermatologist if I had a skin problem. Like if I had a serious sexual issue, I wouldn't go to a, you know, ecclesiastical leader for that. I would go to, like a therapist or someone trained with sex. Yes. Now, I do think the church stands for morality, which is, which is what we need. We need a moral compass to guide us. But specific sexual questions, sometimes we've been looking in the wrong places and getting the wrong advice too.
0: That is so good to think about. How many times have I had a, a problem and the first thought is to go to a pastor? And that's not always bad. But like you're saying, if the problem is with your sex life, why not find a sex therapist? or if the problem is with, yeah, uh, there's there's a lot that pastors are qualified and capable of doing, but also like pastors are humans and they have a lot on their plate too. And there are people that are specialized and licensed that can really help in different areas of our life. So that's, that's a great way of looking at it. I love that. I want you to tell me from your perspective, I have a feeling that I know how you're going to answer this, but maybe you'll surprise me. How important is sex really? Like, I guess I want to know, I was doing research with Eric right after we recorded our podcast, because then we just couldn't stop talking about sex. And we were Googling like, what is considered a sexless marriage? How many couples are in sexless marriages? Are marriages ending in divorce because of a lack of sex or is it other things, you know, all the things like that. So how important really is sex?
1: Uh, In my opinion, it's very important. (laughs) I think it's it's absolutely foundational to a It's, it's a, it helps you thrive. It's not a survival though. So can you person survive without sex? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's not a, it's not like hunger, sleep, or some other one of those basic human drives. And sometimes we mistakenly call sex a need, and we put Mm. it in the same category as like, I need for these other, like other needs. And when you, put it into a needs frame, then it turns into looking to your spouse as they have a duty to like fill your need. And if they don't fill your need, then they're a bad spouse. Like that's that's kind of the problem with calling it a need. So I, I really don't like using the word need. Is it important? It's important for thriving.
0: Yeah. Sorry, I didn't want to cut you off.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a study done where they asked people in uh, marriages where it's not going very well. There's a lot of, you know, unhappy marriages, like to rank like percentage wise, how much sexual problems has to deal with the dissatisfaction in their marriage? And on average, they'd say it comes back about 70% of the dissatisfaction in marriage is caused because of sex. And then they take the same type of a questions and they ask couples in very happy marriages what percent of your marital, marital happiness do you attribute to sex? And they report like 10 to 20%, which is interesting because when the marriage is awful, sexual problems rank high when the marriage is great, sexual, sexual, like the, like the quality of the sex or whatever that doesn't take as much of the slice that doesn't take as many slices of the pie when things are good. So that tells me sex done, right. Helps you thrive in other areas of your life because when your marriage is good, that's going to be part of a, a greater whole.
0: Yeah. Uh, when we're talking about sex, I also want to ask, does it have to be intercourse to count? Because I, I feel like there's this, but I'm going to say it's a misconception. You can correct me if I'm totally wrong, but I think sex is beyond just intercourse. I think that if you do other things, but you're having experiencing physical intimacy, that it counts. I also think it counts even if there's no quote unquote finishing at the end of it. Like I think that encounter with your spouse counts, but tell me if that's, if you agree or disagree.
1: I agree hundred percent. It does not have to be intercourse. Like I go to Disneyland. Do you have to ride the Matterhorn to say you went to Disneyland (laughs) (laughs) or Space Mountain, whatever it is that defines your Disneyland experience, right? No, you can do a whole bunch of other really fun things that you're in the mood for at the moment. You might skip out and go to California Adventureland instead or whatever it might be, right? All those things still count. You went to Disneyland and you had a great time together. So my definition of sex is connection and pleasure. What do you find connecting and pleasurable? and that might mean intercourse that might mean outer course that might mean just a really good steamy makeout session with a great conversation like connection and pleasure some experiencing some arousal together can be connecting and pleasurable we do tend to overemphasize intercourse in our culture because a lot of our sexual education is very male centric if you think about it like in middle school it's reproductive biology and it's very intercourse specific because that's how you make babies. But that's sex is so much more than just intercourse. In fact, most women, 70% women can't have an orgasm from intercourse alone. You need clitoral stimulation too. So when you focus too much on the male-centric approach to sex, it defaults to then sex equals intercourse. And I, I think we need to like broaden our, our horizons there. There's so much more to a good sex and sexual experience.
0: Yeah, that's so good. What would you say to a newly married couple who's struggling in their sex life? Um, they want to improve it. They don't want it to feel like a to-do. Maybe that's how it currently feels. They're newly married. What do you, what do you say to that couple?
1: I'd say welcome to the club. About nine out of 10 newlyweds struggle sexually. Hmm. And that's that's normal. And there's nothing weird or wrong about you. And uh, this is just how you learn. And it's, it's a new experience. It's, it's a new part of you. You're, you're learning to develop with another person. So it's, just give yourself a lot of grace. There's fantastic podcasts, blogs, books, uh, apps, uh, e-courses. You can find all sorts of resources now that a generation or two ago, you'd not be able to find. Yeah. That will help you like grow and develop sexually. And just give yourself patience and have a sense of humor about it. Like it's, it's funny. Our bodies do funny things and also they do weird things at the wrong time sometimes. And you just, I don't know, laugh it off and enjoy it. Enjoy what you can. If you're struggling with self-confidence, that's a, I, there's some things you can do to help with that. You can, uh, a lot of people that struggle with self-confidence also struggle with perfectionism. So like understanding that if you have perfectionistic tendencies, that's going to impede your sexual development. So kind of give yourself a lot of grace, kind of let go and don't do like, eat like all or none thinking, but like, this can be good too. And I'm making some progress here and, and, and learn to just like embrace being you and like, you don't have to look like, or behave like anyone else. You just need to be yourself in the moment. And yeah. then your sex will, it should, should get better as you work at it, but it takes effort. Like anything that's valuable in life, it takes effort. You got, you're going to take some risks. You're going to fail sometimes, but you keep at it.
0: Yeah. What would you say now to a married couple? Potentially they've been married for many years or they have many children like you and your wife or, or any of the following and they want to revamp their sex life. Maybe it used to be good and they've had kids or they've just been married for so many years. They've gone through transition. Things have changed. What would your best tips be for getting into good rhythms? And I'm very curious, is scheduling sex a bad idea?
1: For about half of the couples that I know, scheduling sex works great for them. And they're like, well, I schedule, you know, when I get my nails done, I schedule when, you know, I need to go to the dentist or my other work thing. So why not schedule sex too? Like if you put it on the calendar, things tend to happen more often. So scheduling works. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of variety, like variations on scheduling. There's like a popular method is like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, he initiates one of those days, uh, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, she initiates one of those days and Saturday is a free day. So that's still like scheduling in that you're like, you know, it's going to happen sometime in those times. So, but there's some flexibility built in, like there's that approach too.
0: Yeah. It's it's funny. I'll let you continue to answer. I'm sure you have more to say, but I was I do want to just say it's crazy how we I think what doesn't help set a lot of us up for success in our sex life is the movies. Right. It's like sex scenes always just happen. It it feels like sex just organically happens. Somehow the kids are all magically napping at the same time and things get steamy in the kitchen. And it's like, that's not real life for most of us.
1: Oh, that's exactly how it happens for me.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Well, tell us, I was about to be like, oh, tell us your secrets. Um, But I know, it, and actually I do know that you're going to share some ways that we can spice it up and things like that. But Um, any other tips for getting into good rhythms and like having this organic, maybe, maybe scheduling isn't right for us or we try it, but what else can we do to get back into the rhythm? If it feels like it's just become a total thing that's on the, yeah. Or like on the back burner, like not a Mm -hmm. priority. Uh,
1: so you just prioritize it. You have a conversation. This needs to happen more. And if it's a frequency thing, you maybe set goals, like let's shoot for, you know, so many times a week or so many times a month and just make it a priority. And the funny thing is I've sometimes doing sex is kind of like going running in the morning when you're not in the mood, but you put on your shoes anyway, you get your running clothes on anyway, and you know, it's going to be cold, but you just do it anyway. And after you're done with your run, you feel great after like, I'm so glad I did that. Sometimes you just need to like get things started hmm. and just get through it. Then, and then once you get going, and once the juices start flowing, it's, it's, you're, you're so much happier after. Um, like, You don't regret that you did. So you just got to get the initial bump going. And that takes prioritizing. But it's a lot more difficult and nuanced than that. Because in some marriages, sex does become boring or become more routine because you stop pushing yourself to try new things. You stop pushing yourself to really know your spouse or really allowing your spouse to know you at a deep and fundamental level. So sometimes like I had a couple come in my office last Friday, they, they thought their issue was a sexual issue. She wanted a lot of sex and he doesn't, and she wants to feel desired. And he's like, well, my, my parents weren't that way. They didn't show a lot of affection, but what they thought that they were fighting about sex, but what they were really fighting about was intimacy. And there's mm-hmm. a difference. What they really needed was intimacy he was afraid to really open up himself intimately to be known by her. And she was afraid of, of uh, not being wanted intimately. And so she would try to get his attention by like buying new lingerie or doing all these things and like trying to lose weight and like just trying to get his attention. But what she really wanted was intimacy. So uh, that's my advice. Been married a long time. Look to the quality of your intimacy how close are you? Can you talk about the things that are really close to your heart openly like you would to your best friend?
0: Mm, that's good. That's such a uh, interesting thought because every time E and I are consistent in going to therapy, unrelated to sex, our sex life tends to improve.
1: Because your intimacy improves.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a no-brainer, but sometimes uh, I don't know why it's kind of dawning on me like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. All right. I want to pick your honest thoughts. Anything goes. This is a longer table. We don't have to agree, or maybe we'll agree on everything. Who knows? But um, there's no such thing as, quote, taking it too far. So feel free to answer however you want. But I know people are eager to hear honest thoughts on pornography, whether or not it has a place in a sex life for a married couple, um, masturbation, toys, dirty talk. So let's start with pornography.
1: Okay. Pornography, I believe, has no place in a marriage. I don't think it's helpful or healthy, especially when it's disconcordant, uh, when Meaning, one spouse uses it, and the other spouse does not like the idea that their spouse is using it. Um, but I gotta say, pornography is appealing. There's there's definitely a, a pull, and a, there's a reason why people use it. It's like it's like Cheetos. Like you go to, like Cheetos is an engineered snack like a bunch of scientists got together, like oh, what's the right amount of crunch and sweetness and fat content. And, uh, we'll put MSG or salts in it to make you like crave more like, mm. and they engineered the over-engineered snack so that when you bite into a Cheeto, it, like lights up the right parts of your brain that go, Ooh, I want more. Right. Yep. A lot of pornography is engineered like that to light up the certain pleasure centers of, of your brain, like, like to, to be really appealing. The downside is it's like Cheetos, though, it's not nutritious. So pornography oftentimes becomes like we talked about how important intimacy is in for for that for a great sex life. Pornography they look turns into counterfeit intimacy. Mm-hmm. You're using sex to try to get intimacy, but it's always going to feel hollow and you're not going to get there. And some people actually prefer to masturbate to an image on the screen than with their spouse because. You don't have to share bills with the person on the screen. You don't have to like raise kids with the person on the screen. You can kind of live in your own fantasy world and they always think you're hot and they always like Hmm. desire you and they're always aggressive and like it's fantasy land, but it's not real world. So it doesn't help you actually deal with what is. So you kind of live, uh, not in rooted in reality and that's, that's kind of the harm I see with pornography and the whole industry can be suspect too. like, absolutely. Yeah. There's definitely a dark side to it.
0: Totally. What about masturbating? I think it's an awkward thing for Christians to think about and talk about. I hope we're, um, we're getting out of that habit of kind of making it a taboo thing. Um, But what are, what are your thoughts and how do you talk to your kids about this or do you?
1: Oh, sure. So I do believe chastity, meaning, you know, sexual relations between two people are important before marriage. Masturbation, I don't count as part of chastity. Like, I view masturbation as a normal part of human development. So like like an adolescent touching themselves and like going, okay, this is how my body functions in this way. I see no harm in that. Um, but like anything, you can kind of take it too far to an extreme. It can become habitual. There are some people that masturbate so frequently that they can't have a normal sexual relationship with their spouse. And that does become problematic. Mm -hmm. Um, But like our brains are expert at learning, right? We're learning machines. And the more you repeat certain behaviors or thoughts, they form grooves in your brain. Like I live near the grand Canyon was formed by the Colorado river. That water just kept going over and over and over in the same spot over and over and over. And you get this huge Canyon, our brains kind of work the same way. So the downside to habitual masturbation is you get used to becoming stimulated in one particular way, in one particular way only. So it makes it difficult to transition to like coupled sex, for instance. So I, you got to kind of keep that in balance. Yeah, there are There is research done where they show that uh, married couples where individuals in that marriage masturbate actually tend to have more frequent sex, coupled sex in their relationship. With a caveat in marriages where there's pornography involved with the masturbation, the quality of the sex life and the frequency of the sex goes way down. Yeah. So uh, that tells me it's not that masturbation causes a problem. It's it's coupled with something else. That's taking your intimacy outside of your marriage is where the issue can be.
0: That makes sense.
1: And there are times where masturbation can be a godsend. Like for instance, I know of a couple where when she has a baby and she's nursing, she absolutely has no libido instead of her husband, like climbing the walls and going crazy. Like, look, we'll, we'll talk about this. And it's never done in secret. It's Mm -hmm. always done with each other's spouse's knowledge. And it's not something you like hide from your spouse. Like just go take care of yourself. It's okay. And then he's calm. He's not an ogre anymore. He's pleasant (laughs) to be around. He's okay. Like Like, so, and it applies to women too. I've heard similar stories for women that have, that it just helps them kind of relax. And so uh, use it as a tool, but use it wisely.
0: Yeah. What about toys and dirty talk? The The thing that came in the most from my episode with Eric is people were like, okay, I've never been able to like ask this, and I'm very curious, but is it bad if we use toys? Is it bad if we talk dirty to each other? I Because I feel like that's not wholesome and Christ-like, and I'm thinking... I, I had some thoughts, but I want to hear yours on, are toys okay? Yeah, let's go there.
1: I personally love toys. <laughs> I think they're fun and they add a lot of variety, but I think it's like money. They say like, uh, is money good or is money evil? And you're like, well, it's it money inherently is neutral. That's how you use it is good or evil. Right. I think toys are the same way. So you can have a toy and you can use it for good, or you can use it for connection and pleasure, or you can use it for disconnection in your relationship. So I think it's how it's used matters more than whether you use it or not or not. Cause I think it's neutral. Same with dirty talk. I think you're married to your spouse. Wouldn't it be great to be able to be at such a intimate level that you can talk dirty use your language to arouse each other. That's like a wonderful way to connect and flirt and, and enjoy that uh, sexual connection.
0: I love this. You are giving people so much permission to just live freely and to recognize that, um, we're wired in these incredibly unique and wonderful ways. God's not surprised or weirded out by this. Um, and as long as we're connecting with our spouse and finding that intimacy with each other, again, speaking to those of us who are married, like that—that's that's what matters. Um, I think God would rather us have really great intimacy, even if it includes toys and dirty talk and whatever, with our spouse than to go to somebody else because we're bored.
1: Oh, of course.
0: Like, I mean, I feel like that's a no brainer, but sometimes I think we need to think of it that way because we place, we get really nervous about all these things, but also I think it's important for every individual and every couple to, like you said, have open conversation with what you're comfortable with. Um, yeah. So, okay. I didn't want to cut you off.
1: Avoiding you from going because you're bored because their integrity is important too. even if you are bored, it doesn't give you the license to go, you know, have dirty talk with someone else. But yes. it's more about um, um, being at a certain level of intimate comfort with another person that you can reveal your erotic mind. We have a very erotic part of being human. It's a very personal part of us, and it's not something you freely share with anyone else. So mm-hmm. can't, like that's, I think, very intimate when you can really open up the erotic part of you. And what's erotic for me is going to be very different than you. It's like fingerprints, we're all unique. Like I might be really interested like this certain sexual behavior might be really appealing to my to me but for my wife it might be a big turnoff too. Like we're all individual in that. But that I can freely and openly express myself in that way, I think that's that's a beautiful part of being human, but also a part we need to cultivate. We can't we shouldn't be ashamed of having this erotic nature. That's that's part of us.
0: Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, I appreciate all of the permission and freedom you're you're uh, giving everyone listening. Do you think it's possible to rebuild physical intimacy? Because you talked a little bit about the difference between intimacy and sex, but they go hand in hand, clearly. There's a clear correlation there. Do you think it's possible to rebuild physical intimacy after there's been some major trust breach? And if so, what's one small step that a couple could take towards sexual intimacy When they're also trying to repair their relationship on a deeper level.
1: Great. Like by, by violation of trust, maybe like an an affair or or something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, it definitely is possible. I think I read somewhere 70% of couples that went through an affair end up repairing their marriage and staying together. And for a lot of them, they're stronger after the fact because they unfortunately went through a hard time together, but they learned some things.
0: Yep. I believe it.
1: So trust is, it can be rebuilt, uh, but it takes two people. It takes both people willing to really look at what is honestly, because usually a violation of trust happens because you were not looking at things as is honestly, you'd rather believe this made up like fantasy of what, what, what you're having instead of really connecting and looking at it honestly. So it takes really deep honesty. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So aside from the really deep honesty, is there any other tangible step that you would encourage for a couple who's in who finds themselves in this place where they're rebuilding trust? And like, is it, I guess what I'm trying to ask is there's a, a, a couple that I'm thinking of in particular who reached out to me. Uh, she found out that he had uh, done some things outside of their marriage with another person. He was extremely like remorseful and apologetic. And so that I think- has made her want to work through it. Um, I'm not going to share thoughts around all of that stuff right now. I just want to get. But get- she
1: probably feels like I really can't trust him anymore. Now I want to check his phone all the time or I want to know where he is. And every that- time he's late, my mind immediately jumps down to that like scenario or whatever it might be.
0: Yeah, there's that. And I know she feels like it's, she's kind of taken the posture of we'll have sex again when you prove all these things to me. And I don't know how long that's going to take. So now it's just month after month of no sex and curious on your thoughts of that.
1: Gotcha. So, um, I don't know this couple, so I can't really give specific advice, but, um,
0: it's not Eric and I, for the record, for those lists, for, for those listening, I, I, um, I can assure you this is not, I'm not asking for a friend in air quotes here. <laughs>
1: it's right, right, right. Oh, funny. So yeah. Um, a Certain issues that are serious. I think you do need to get a professional involved. There are many wonderful, talented uh, professionals that kind of work like an emergency room doctor for your marriage. Like when things seem really in disarray, there's a lot of trauma They can really help like you know, staunch the bleeding, stabilize things and kind of help you like on a path towards healing. And so I'd involve, I'd, I'd recommend getting a, a professional involved. Sometimes a professional, especially the good ones act as a neutral third party. So they're not partial to his story or her story. And uh, per se, he's going to tell you exactly as is and help you kind of confront the truth. So for the wife that's decided to withhold sex, she might have some very good reasons for that. And. she might have some really legitimate reasons why it might be good for the marriage that uh, she's withholding herself sexually Mm -hmm. and, or she might have some really bad reasons too. So uh, I would say the principle is prioritize the relationship over uh, what I need. In other words, in a marriage, there's a you and a me, but there's also a we. And sometimes the me comes before the we, And it should be the other way around. The we, the us, should come first. Um, And that includes everything. Like one spouse wants to travel, the other one doesn't want to travel as much. So how are you going to create a we where you both kind of work together so you're both getting something that you want? So it's going to take a lot of negotiation and talking and working through
0: you're naming the hard parts of marriage that people don't see on Instagram, right? When when I have single friends or people that will be like, I just want to be married. I just want to have kids, all this stuff. And it is all wonderful. I won't sit here and complain. I love being married. I love my children, all of that stuff. And I say children because I still count our foster children. People are always like, wait, you only have Shia. Yes, Shia is our only biological kid, but I claim all our former foster kids. Anyway, I feel like it is good to keep in mind, though, like I love how the Bible makes it very clear. It's better if you can be single. But if you I don't know how it's said, I'm totally butchering this, but it's essentially like. It makes it clear that with marriage comes great responsibility, you know, you're now doing life with someone else, it's going to be messy at times, it's going to be complicated and selfishness has no place in it. And that's what you're that's what you're talking about with the we that is so hard to live out. I'm feeling a little convicted right now. Darn it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay,
0: oh, I'm not the only one. <laughs> um. Well, Dan, I have loved chatting with you about all of these things. And I'm so grateful that you created Get Your Marriage On with your wife. And I want to know, do your apps really help? Because I downloaded the app, Get Your Marriage On, or I'm sorry, the app itself is called Intimately Us.
1: Yes. Uh-huh.
0: And I downloaded it. Eric and I are about to dive into it, so uh, can't share my experience yet. But you guys have created these apps that ultimately help couples experience greater intimacy. And I say say intimacy purposely because it's not just about sex. It's about connection. But also, sex is a large part of that. Do you, Do they actually work? Do you have any testimonial you want to share?
1: I was so nervous to tell my friends about it. Like... <laughs> Hey, I made a sex app <laughs> and it was anyway, I had one particular friend. I, I asked him because we needed beta testers. We needed to make sure that we're on track with, with things. So I asked this friend to check it out. This is early on. And, uh, I didn't hear from him for two weeks. So I'm like, Oh, I, I ruined a friendship. <laughs> I broached the taboo subject. Here we go. But, uh, anyway, I caught up with him. Um, and, uh, he's like, I got to blame you, Dan. Cause we, I haven't slept well for the last two weeks. I'm like, Oh, why? <laughs> Cause we're up all night playing your stupid game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it.
1: I loved it too. I laughed so hard. It's like, and I got to tell you, my wife, uh, we, we've discovered new things that we haven't tried before that, re- that she really likes. And he was really specific about some of the sexual things that they were trying. And she's experiencing more pleasure. And of course they're feeling more connected. So she's like, Hey, um, how about you put the kids to bed and I'll go take a bath and maybe we can play the game tonight. It's like, yes, (laughs) (laughs) ma'am, take care of that right away. So they're like, like, she's like, he's like, she would never say things like that before. So like, it's good for both. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's not just to him or it's not just to her. It's like an us thing, but he also works in sales. So he's like, does, attends a lot of lunches and other things. And he's surrounded by women all the time in his, in his work. And he said, I got to tell you, I've, it's always kind of been on the back of my mind, like this outside attractions for my marriage, because I'm surrounded by it all the time. But I got to say, ever since using the app, that temptation's like gone now, because I feel like the connection that I have with my wife is so genuine, that everything else just seems, you know, counterfeit. Like, what I have is so good. Like, anyway, and he just thanked me for, for that too. So... I had another friend that messaged me a little while. It's like, Hey, my wife's pregnant. We use your app and it induced labor. Thank you. Like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> like there's other fun stories like that too, but like, um, uh, some people write in some great things like this app basically gave our marriage a standing ground. We had grown apart and cause one's in the military, there was a deployment. Anyway, this app provided the necessary support with suggestions that rekindled our fire to feel more in love with my husband than I have ever in the past. I'm grateful to God for the experience, to that, uh, for the experience of this app. I highly recommend it, especially those that have a rocky relationship. So mm. it's not just for those that are thriving already. It's for those that need kind of like a reset. Like this app will help provide those essential conversations and gives you lots of ideas and activities to really spice things up too.
0: I love that so much. I love that you are doing this, providing this for couples. Um, I'm going to make sure that in the show notes, we have all the details for Get Your Marriage on. I know you and your wife host retreats that you can go to in person, which is so cool. I host retreats for women and I really want to go to a couples retreat. It looks amazing. I was on your website and I was like, I want to go. Um, I'm sold. I'm excited to dive into the app um, and I'll hopefully be able to keep everyone posted on our experience. Um, Eric's probably gonna be like at some point will you stop sharing about our sex life <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah just really grateful for what you're doing I think it's making a huge difference and you're clearly very knowledgeable and passionate so thanks for being with us at the table today
1: thank you thanks for inviting me